0: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast where we bring you news and analysis from all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. And today I'm joined with Tia Mitchell, veteran political reporter who is out on the campaign trail with Stacey Abrams for a big chunk of last year's campaign for governor. How's it going, Tia?
1: Great and glad to be here to talk about the latest developments with Stacey Abrams.
0: Yeah, and let's get right to it because... After Stacey Abrams said she was not going to run for Senate, the big question is, OK, she's not running for Senate, but what is she going to do in 2020? And now we know. We know. We know that she
1: is launching this big effort to engage voters in states beyond Georgia, which is pretty big deal. You know, she's really positioning herself as a major figure in Democratic Party politics nationwide, which still leaves unanswered questions about if she will be on the ballot at all in 2020, And so we still don't know that, but we do know she is going to be part of the conversation for sure.
0: And we'll talk about that whole 2020 question in a a second. But first, let's get to her initiative because it's called Fair Fight 2020. And it's an offshoot of Fair Fight, the group that she rebranded, relaunched after she um, ended her campaign for governor without conceding a defeat to to Governor Kemp. Um, And this is involving as you said 20 states mostly battleground states but a few conservative leaning states that uh, that have gubernatorial elections this year and basically it's they're not setting up fair fight chapters in all these 20 states instead the intent is to train democrats and activists to do a lot of the work that fair fight and her campaign was doing here in Georgia in the run up to the election
1: right and it's interesting one of the she's picked three red states that have gubernatorial um, elections in 2020. One of them is my home state, Kentucky, and the others are Louisiana and Mississippi, mm-hmm. which we all know Mississippi having that that high-profile U.S. Senate race in 2018. Um, so I think it's interesting that she has picked states not only where she thinks Democrats can win, but states where, you know, she feels that voters need a voice and Mm -hmm. voters need protection and so again like you said she's not just going to be you know staffing up there but she's going to kind of help duplicate some of the efforts that have been put into motion in georgia helping train people to put them into motion across mostly the midwest and the south
0: so those efforts include Getting legal teams ready, getting voter protection hotlines so that voters who have issues like uh, re- rejected absentee ballots, long lines at early voting sites—you know, you name it—can call in and be a central repository. Um, and that also involves training staffers to, to look out for these things because sometimes voters um, don't may not realize uh, that that you know when they go to the polls that something's happening that shouldn't be happening.
1: Right, and I wonder you know, how much of this will also be on the front end, trying to make sure voters are educated about the laws, making sure voters are educated about their voting options and things like that, you know, making sure that early states with early voting, that it's run in a way that's accessible and on election day, you know, because that was something that came up this past Mm -hmm. year with, you know, long lines at the polls and provisional ballots and absentee ballots not being treated in a consistent manner across the state of Georgia. So those are all things that I could see Fair Fight 2020 uh, raising issues with both before the election and and on election day even.
0: That's a really good point because part of this will be um, digital PR campaigns, publicity campaigns to, to raise awareness about some of the issues and to make sure that people in these states know that they can call Hotline X, you know, whatever the hotline in that state is, or can reach out to uh, Democratic operatives and, and state party officials in that state. And, th- and they were very clear about that. They they don't want to try to um, hire up staff all over the nation. They want to partner with state parties, with state candidates, with, with, with maybe even nonprofits. Right, in like states. the
1: common causes and things like that.
0: Yep, And the other part of it is, um, and this is just a fact of of campaigning, the the Democratic nominee might not be selected until the middle of next year. And at that point, that candidate has to ramp up really quickly. Stacey Abrams wants this effort already on the ground in place so that the campaign can just uh, maybe even adopt it or or use it as a um, as a tool rather than having to get their own voter protection network up and running. ASAP.
1: Right. And I think it's really smart because we saw in 2016, some of these swing states, some of these battleground states, the margin was really thin. And, you know, Trump carries.
0: Wisconsin, yeah. Michigan. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and it, it, it's just a couple of percentage points that could swing the electoral college vote.
0: And. Long lines, right? I mean, uh, one of the things the media got really uh, enthralled, captivated by was going to some of these states where it was supposed to be close. North Carolina is a great example, taking these videos of these hours long lines in Chapel Hill and and other places and saying, and it is a measure of enthusiasm, but at the same time, long lines and uh, too few voting machines and these issues can also be, if not an overt way to suppress the votes, a, a more so so for a way uh, maybe not on purpose maybe not intentional but the fact that, that there are 3 hours long lines and there certainly were in, in last year's election people can't afford some people can't afford to stay in line for them and skip jobs and not be able to pick up their kids and you know other family issues because they're in line to try to vote
1: right and it's really fascinating you know in this day and age with the technology that's available in the different ways to vote, the different manners, Um, you know, Georgia, of course, is talking about that now. And it's when you see long lines and slow lines and um, cumbersome processes, it's just like that's right where Fair Fight is coming in and saying, why are things being done this way? And could they be done in a way that it makes it easier Mm -hmm. for voting to happen?
0: Now, Abrams unveiled this initiative out in Las Vegas at a um, giant union convention of, of uh, uh, mostly progressive union members, um, IUPAT, I-U-P-A-T. Um, and so she ro- rolled it out there, but her local rollout is at a Gwinnett County Elementary School uh, where exactly this problem happened. There were hours-long lines, there was three to four hours uh, of lines, and not because of Necessarily, because there's too few voting machines. Although that's the reason for long lines elsewhere, it was because of a of a malfunction, a computer malfunction, a glitch that kind of set everything back. And there was we have pictures of people just sitting there, you know, on their phones, sitting in the middle of a classroom hallway, waiting to vote, waiting to have their vote counted in a county that used to be a Republican stronghold but has now steadily gone Democratic. And that's the county that the Abrams won 57% of the vote by. It might not have been. It certainly wasn't um, a, a an intentional computer glitch, right? Uh, no one's alleging that. But what her argument is is, yeah, when you don't have m- enough computers on backup, we don't have a really quick response system. That could be a form of voter suppression, right?
1: And also, of course, arguing that the system itself was outdated, antiquated, and and again, Georgia's. In the process of trying to address some of that so we'll see how that goes
0: and we had a federal court ruling on Thursday where the judge used that those exact phrases outdated antiquated machines and she said um, this is judge Totenberg she said it's too early it's it's still too soon to try to get uh, the new system in in time for this year's municipal elections but she said it better be in place it better be in place by uh, March 24th of next year where Georgia holds its presidential primary. um, And she also said she worries that we could be in a situation of deja vu all over again because this system, too, has a lot of questions.
1: Right. And I think it's interesting that she is mandating a backup plan, Mm -hmm. which, um, you know, right now, Georgia doesn't have a backup plan. So, again, like you mentioned, the long lines, the glitches, there was nothing that voters could do other than wait it out or, you know, I guess, provisional ballots, but there were sometimes not enough provisional ballots to go around.
0: You're right. Some places ran out of provisional ballots. And of course, those provisional ballots sometimes can take days after the election to get counted. So there is no there. there, It's hard to see that there's a there's a secure fail safe. And we do have that one hundred and seven million dollar new system that was just approved a few a few weeks ago. Um. It's going to place all eyes will be on that. And our colleague, Mark Nisi, will be following every single development when it comes to that those machines. Uh, the, the Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger's office, actually took that court ruling. They said they saw victory in it. They said the, the judge has backed up. Has, has endorsed the efforts that they're ta- the state is taking to move forward. Um, and, of course, voting rights groups saw, said, oh, wow, the judge just confirmed everything we, all the problems we saw in a very lengthy ruling mm-hmm. where she kind of wanted to almost codify um, that trial and those hearings, that, that all the different things that, that all the different uh, concerns that voting rights groups uh, elevated. Absolutely. Well, that also brings us back to last year's election, Um, That which was so revolved so much around voting rights and uh, Republicans know that Stacey Abrams is probably, if not very likely to run for uh, governor again in 2022 unless somehow unless she ends up on the vice presidential ballot. We'll talk about that in a second. But the Republican reaction to um, to Stacey Abrams new venture was was fairly muted. I mean, I couldn't get um, the governor's office to comment on it couldn't get the LG's office or House Speaker David Ralston. Most top Republicans kind of, you know, there's operatives who were panning her on Twitter and, and happy to talk about it, but most of the state's officials have kind of taken the, the tack of uh, dismissing it or not 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 commenting on her.
1: Yeah, I think that's an interesting strategy, and it makes me wonder, do they almost think that when the more they comment, the more energy they give her movement. So it's like... Perhaps for them, the best thing to do was to stay silent and not add fuel to her fire. Um, but I did think that was interesting when I was, you know, looking and reading all the reports. There wasn't a lot from the other side about Fair Fight 2020. Um, even in other states, there wasn't a lot yet um, that had been said about what she's planning on doing. And I mean, part of it is only the three Red states have been identified Mm -hmm. at this point, but there just wasn't a lot of opposition from the Republican Party. But also, I think, you know, they don't want that reputation or that perception of being the party of voter disenfranchisement or the party of voter suppression. So, you know, it's hard to come out forcefully and say your effort to increase access for voting no not good you know that so i guess that's probably another thing is like they're like well What else? What can we say at this point, perhaps when she gets more concrete in what she's doing and begins, you know, getting on the ground? Of course, I'm sure they'll have criticisms about some of the specifics of what Mm -hmm. she's doing.
0: And also remember, those three guys, I mentioned, those two Republicans I mentioned do not have to face. Well, I guess uh, Speaker Ralston does, but do not have to face a competitive, a very competitive election until 2022. Whereas the one exception to that is Senator David Perdue. Um, he didn't comment. He didn't you know, have a statement um, this week after uh, Stacey Abrams announced her new initiative. But in a campaign fundraising email he sent out late last night, he said of Stacey Abrams, quote, she's still out there and she's doing everything she can to deliver Georgia for national Democrats in 2020. Between now and November 2020, we cannot let Stacey Abrams and her political machine go unchallenged. So he is trying to paint her, even though she's not on the ballot, she's, not, she's already said she will not run for U.S. Senate. There are two candidates already in the race and two or three more maybe to get in in the next couple of weeks. But D- David Perdue is already painting her as sort of the, the face of Democratic challengers to him.
1: And I think it is interesting. She is the face of Georgia Democrats. In a lot of ways, she's one of the most prominent Democrats in the country, and we're talking about someone who doesn't currently hold elected office who is the de facto leader of
0: Georgia's Democratic Party. Which leads us to our next topic because the other big bit of news Stacey Abrams made she had never formally ruled out a run for president. It seemed very unlikely because the field is 24 candidates and or whatever, two dozen candidates or so, and uh, we're well underway. And we've had multiple debates now. At the same time, she still hadn't ruled out anything uh, until that trip to Vegas. Um, and she told me shortly after her speech, point blank, "I do not see myself as. I do not see myself getting in. Uh, I do not see this as a value add for the primary process." Um, She made sure to say primary. Right. Um, So, you know, if you need someone to broker
1: the convention, I might be your girl.
0: Exactly. That and if you need someone who can be a running mate for the general election. Which I I think is
1: a lot more um, likely scenario, depending on who becomes the nominee. You know, um, if it's an African-American nominee, it's much less likely Mm -hmm. that there will be an African-American running mate. Um, But a Warren Abrams ticket I could see it happening a Biden Abrams ticket I can see it happening you know it just it really is going to depend on how some of these primaries shake out Um, and I do see her on the stage as the candidates come but for multiple candidates you know like Mm -hmm. I don't of course you know we don't expect her to necessarily endorse um, early in the primary when there are still a lot of candidates Yeah, she's going to stay out of it
0: for a while but you're right um, and geographic balance, because um, there aren't many Southern candidates at all who have a, a good shot at winning. Um, Cory Booker has ties to the South, but but there, there are no real, you know, Southern candidates who are up at the top tier right now. Um, so they've geographicized. There's um, there's a message. Uh, she's already a national figure. And, of course, she's been meeting with every single presidential candidate as they come to Atlanta or in Washington or wherever she happens to be. Um, She's been meeting with them, um, sitting down with them for lunches or dinners, um, phone calls with them. All of them are seeking her endorsement, of course. Um, She said that she is going to stay out of this race. But she had that famous meeting with Joe Biden uh, uh, earlier on this year that led to a lot of speculation that Biden was actually asking her early to be like an announced ticket and now she quickly dispelled that and so did his campaign but still the fact that they had a very early meeting and they had some some sort of discussion um, and she's kind of defended
1: him when he's Mm -hmm. run into troubles um you know in his campaign she's kind of said you know my eyes on the big picture she's declined to kind of go after him also but remember kamala harris did campaign for Stacey abrams Uh, During her booker, mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: Um, there's there's multiple presidential who weren't presidential contenders back then. They weren't announced yet, but who came down to Atlanta last year, not only last year, also for Mayor Bottoms in 17. Right. uh, Who came down and and kind of planted their flag here.
1: Right. And it is interesting. I was thinking about that, like Mayor Bottoms is firmly in the Biden camp. So
0: she's endorsed him, and she's gone to I think it was both of his debates. She's been a guest in his, and the second debate, she was in the spin room, in there talking with the reporters about Joe Biden's message. So um, you're right, I, she, she, uh, Stacey Abrams might not be the only Democratic figure on someone's shortlist for a running mate. Absolutely. Well, we'll be watching all this fun stuff over the next, uh, geez, what is it, 400 and something days?
1: <laughs> yeah, we've got over a year. It seems like the campaigns been going on for a long time already or never
0: ended yeah
1: that and to think that we still have over a year before the presidential general election and remember
0: 2022 right around the corner after that and my biggest takeaway from the Stacey Abrams um announcements and initiatives and now we know what she's doing in 2020 and and unless she's a VP candidate it means she will not be on the ballot, which means she is almost certain, in my view at least, to be on that ballot in 2022, running against Governor Kemp.
1: Yeah, I think so, unless she's in the White House or wherever the Vice President stays.
0: The uh, the residence. Uh, yes, yeah. the
1: the Vice President's residence, whatever that is.
0: Um, or a member of cabinet, if there's a Democratic, if if someone wins and they they offer her something that she can't refuse, um, but you never know. You never know. It's going to be fun. Well, thanks, Tia, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. And as always, thank you for listening.